0: Well, it would be um, a great mistake for the West to alienate and isolate the Taliban. They did it before in the 90s and look what happened. Uh, The country became a playground for every wannabe jihadi group.
1: Hi, everyone. Before we start, I want to take a minute to talk about my next book. You may have heard about the story of GameStop in January or February and thought it was all over. You're sadly mistaken. Unfolding Online has been a clash between the corrupt practices of Wall Street and the hive mind of the Internet. It's a hot, raging information war pitting retail investors against financial giants, swimming in corruption and fraud. The trailer is at the end of this podcast, but if you want to help crowdfund the book or just find out more, you can sign up to my mailing list to get access to a preview of chapter one or go to whenmoon.com to read more about the book. The first 200 people to pre-order the book will get a free pack of To The Moon crayons with their book. I just want to make a quick mention of our sponsors. Namecheap are one of the cheapest places on the internet to get a domain name for your next website. I've used Namecheap for all the sites I've ever purchased and I've found it really easy to use. Spreaker are a rapidly growing platform for podcast recording, publishing, and monetization, with pricing plans as low as $7 per month. A cheap way to host your podcast and start earning from your back catalog of shows. Finally, ExpressVPN is the internet's most trusted VPN. Protect your privacy and watch and view content that is location locked You could even try watching Netflix from a different country. And right now they're offering 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Please use the links in the description below if you want to support the show. Anyway, here's the podcast. Uh, So um, hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm here with Dr Yvonne Ridley, who is author and journalist, uh, author of the books In the Hands of the Taliban, Ticket to Paradise, Torture Doesn't Work and The Rise of the Prophet Muhammad Don't Shoot the Messenger. Uh, Yvonne, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, not a problem. Um I, I wanted to get you in after I was trying to uh trying to find someone to talk to about the the situation in Afghanistan and then you just popped up in my LinkedIn uh feed uh totally by accident and I was like, hang on, I already know the perfect person to talk to about this.
0: <laughs> yes, well the Taliban, um who are they? That that, uh, that is a question that a lot of journalists just aren't asking at the moment um, while they're covering uh, the drama unfolding in Afghanistan at the moment. The Taliban are a puritanical um, uh, group of Afghans uh, who were formed in the early 90s. They came together as students of Islam. They had absolutely no ambitions to govern the country. It happened almost by accident, and it was thrust upon them. And so, by um, the nineteen ninety-six, um, you know, it, it was rather uh, chaotic, and the Americans, which had been funding um, the Mujahideen. Uh, to fight the Soviet occupation, uh, decided to stop funding the Taliban and then set about on a quite a slick operation, demonizing them, um, which they did quite successfully. So by the time 2001 arrived and, and the 9-11 atrocities happened, uh, people, had already decided, you know, that uh, the Taliban were a a bunch of uh, dangerous religious fanatics. And uh, so when George Bush launched his war on terror, after the horrific events of 911, few people were really too concerned when uh, the bombing started in Afghanistan. Um, That was back in 2001. The Taliban quickly fell away, but they never completely went away. They um, started uh, resisting the occupation and they couldn't have survived 20 years resisting the occupation without popular support on the ground. And I think that that's important to to take into consideration. By the time we get to 2021, they're a much more mature uh, organisation, much more media savvy. Um, you know, they've got laptops, they're in the business of communicating, they're starting to understand geopolitics and, and the the need to um, communicate and network. And as a result, um, with a combination of one of the most corrupt governments in the world, um, the Ashraf Ghani government, and with the unwelcome uh, by now American occupation, it was very easy for them to um, march through the country and virtually take it. Uh, without too much resistance. And there was 75,000 of them um, in the face of a 300,000-strong, highly trained, highly weaponized um, Afghan National Army. But the Afghan National Army and the police force just seemed to melt away as the Taliban advanced. And by the time they got to Kabul, they'd taken... Uh, most of the world by complete surprise. So that's who the Taliban are. Um, they're still, as I say, they're much more media savvy now, much more um, worldly. The one thing that they that hasn't changed are their religious beliefs. You know, they're still very puritanical. Um, But to hear them talking about human rights was um, really astonishing. Uh, Not just human rights, but women's rights. Um, You know, they are misogynistic. Uh, It's quite true. But um, don't make the mistake that um, women hate them because... uh, As I say, they they couldn't have advanced as quickly as they did without popular support. And a lot of women were supporting them. And why people find this strange is beyond me when you consider that the women who are showing their support had husbands, brothers, sons, fathers who were killed, arrested or brutalized under the U.S. occupation
1: yeah now i want to get on to to uh, some of the writing you've done there about about um female support for the taliban but uh i want to go back just a little bit to get like a bit more understanding mm-hmm. here of of um sort of their their earlier uh, earlier years and and you so you mentioned early on they had um no ambitions for power that um, when in two thousand one, early on in the the campaign, when America and um, Britain had first arrived, that they they kind of fell away um, and sort of shrunk back, and that it seemed like you were suggesting that the reason that they then became successful was that they were opposed to the occupation, and that uh, the from the signs of things, it sounds like as the the Afghani people began to grow more opposed to the occupation that led to the Taliban gaining more support and power within the country. Is that accurate?
0: Yes. Yes, that uh, that's right. You know, this, um, I've been back to Afghanistan quite a few times and there's a very famous saying that uh, you can rent an Afghani, but you'll never own one. And uh, they Um, You know, they're very much their own people uh, and it's with good reason that Afghanistan is called the graveyard of empires because a lot of empires have been broken um, while trying to occupy Afghanistan.
1: Why do you think that is? Like, is there something, is it the, the geography, the culture, the people?
0: Well, it's a landlocked country. Uh, the people are are very um strong and tough um Afghanistan is in the heart of the old silk Road trading route, and I just think historically you know they've been very welcoming of visitors, but those visitors who don't leave you know they get tired of them quite uh quite well, I'm saying quite quickly it's taken twenty years. Um, but they uh, you know it's quite clear they've had enough of the occupation
1: so um, maybe people don't know um, very much about about yourself or, or your story initially and your kind of um, yeah I'm not quite how to say it, the interactions with the Taliban themselves uh, do you want to give like a a bit of a, a background on on yourself and and, and sort of what happened and, and why you'd written your your first book?
0: Yes, um, on the um, after the horrific events of nine eleven, I was sent as the chief reporter of the Sunday Express newspaper to Pakistan, where the world's media was assembled waiting for the war in Afghanistan to start. Um, I decided that I wanted to go into Afghanistan ahead of the war and try and find out a little bit more about the Taliban because the propaganda was uh, very strong that this was the most evil, brutal regime in the world and that they hated women. So I went into Afghanistan. I was in there for a couple of days and, and just in two days, I was able to blow away some of the media lies which persist today and that is that the afghan uh, taliban did have schools for girls and girls were educated um so it was uh you know it was all quite interesting and productive but as i headed back towards the pakistan border i was rumbled i fell off the donkey actually and and um The Taliban arrested me and uh, accused me of being an American spy, some sort of G.I. Jane character, which uh, was was laughable, really. And so for the next 11 days, I was held by them. Every day I would wake up and think, is this my last day on Earth? It was a terrifying experience because all the fear... Um, was generated from the propaganda that I had listened to and read about them. And, you know, the harrowing scenes that we've seen in Kabul um, with people running to the airport, trying to climb on board planes. I see that fear and I recognize it because that was the fear. Uh, that that I had, you know. Oh my God, I'm never going to survive this. But in fact, um, all the fear was manufactured up here. It was um, it was unfounded. Of course, that isn't any consolation to the desperate plight of Afghans who, you know, have had 20 years of this propaganda. Many of it's a very young population in Afghanistan and uh, many of them can't remember or don't know what life was like under the Taliban. But the stories have gained in the telling and we can, um, you know, that panic and that fear, um, I wouldn't dismiss it at all. It was very real, very palpable and, and uh, very sad. So I I had this experience um, and I g- genuinely didn't think I would get out alive. So on the grounds that you don't kiss the hand that slaps you, I became the prisoner from hell. And I spat at them, I swore at them, I threw things at them. And their reaction or their response to this was why are you being like this? We want you to be happy. You are our guest. And I'm thinking, well, why are you being like this? Because you're supposed to be brutal and evil. And why aren't you living up to the job description? So even though they were kind to me and showed me courtesy and respect, I was still um, terrified, even to the point where they handed me um, over to the Pakistan authorities and I walked across no man's land. I got out of the people carrier backwards and just so I could keep my eye on them and walked backwards for a while, because I thought as soon as I turned my back, that's when they're going to shoot me. Um, once I would got over to the other side and... People, uh, fellow journalists were saying, how did the Taliban treat you? And I thought about it and I said, you know, they treated me with courtesy and respect. And then I thought, gosh, um, I was so badly behaved. And I would have gone back but I to apologise, but I think if they saw me going back to their border, they would have shot me because, you know, my captivity exposed a whole clash of cultures and prejudices on both sides and it um, it, it certainly was a, a life-changing experience for me
1: yeah that's right well i mean i can't even imagine i think just walking across no man's land alone would have been um horrifying let alone the actually getting captured part um, now they, you said they they arrested you, um, but then they were trying to describe you as their guest, essentially. Um, yes. What, what was the the sort of what was their justification then for for like arresting and detaining you? Because if they're trying to do de- that's that's generally not how I treat a guest.
0: <laughs> no, uh, that was pointed out to them by me several times um they genuinely thought i was an american spy and they wanted to find out um a little bit more about me and uh, they sent some of the scariest looking men down from Kabul to interrogate me Mm. they all had massive big black turbans and big black beards And the large, I didn't realise at the time, but the larger the turban um, was an indication of the level of piety and respect that uh, this person would have. So these men um, wanted to question me and, uh, and they, you know, as I say, it was a complete clash of cultures. They sat in a semicircle and they looked everywhere but at my face. They couldn't make eye contact. And I saw this as a sign of guilt. I thought they're going to kill me and they're so guilty about it that they can't even look me in the eye. Of course, I would find out later that they were showing me respect by not staring at me or looking at me directly in the eye. So, you know, that was the first clash of cultures. Um, Then they discovered, um, I think it was the third or fourth day, they came in and they were really angry. We had a translator and they said, you have lied to us. And I said, everything I've told you is the truth. They said, you never told us you had a daughter. I said, but you never asked me if I had a daughter. And they said... But you said you were single, that you weren't married. I said, I'm not married. And one of them threw his hands in the air and spoke in English. Well, how can you have a daughter? And I'm thinking, really? And and then I said, do do you have the concept of um, divorce in this crazy society that you're running? And uh, he nodded brusquely. And I said, I am divorced from my daughter's father, but it's civilised, we keep in touch, and he then said, well, why haven't you married again? And I said, I have my own job, I have my own wage, I have my own car, I have my own home, why would I need a man? And they reeled. And collectively got up and had to go out. And the translator said, oh, he said, they're so disgusted with you. You know, um, you can't continue speaking to them like this. <laughs> and as I say, they, um, they were very puritanical, uh, very naive, very unworldly. Um, but the Taliban of today is quite different. And I don't know if you saw the extraordinary press conference that uh, was, uh, was given, but the Taliban spokesman, who I've spoken to on the phone a few times and actually wondered whether he really existed or if it was just a lot of people using the same name, <laughs> um, he, he appeared and, and seemed relaxed. Um, engaged with women journalists, um, answered questions directly without hesitation, which, let's face it, is more than the President of the United States has done in recent days. You know, he he just refuses to engage the media. So this was, um, this is quite a different, much more mature looking Taliban than the ones that uh, came to power in the 90s
1: okay um so i guess a lot of people are concerned that they might well be um putting on some sort of show essentially for the press that they're they've picked their most um media friendly or media savvy uh person Mm -hmm. that they can find that they're telling the western media and the, the rest of the world exactly what they need them to hear in order for them to establish some sort of like, system of, of government control organization of, of the country essentially. And I guess that it would, a lot of people's critique would be that this is all a front and this is, um, there's going to be like uh, oppression of, of women that they're gonna have rights taken away, they're going to have, um, Perhaps even be like beaten in the street for for choosing to do things that would have previously been acceptable, like um things like not wearing a, a hijab or the like. I'm just I'm just giving you the things that I have I have mm-hmm. I have seen people um make the argument for, but it sounds like you don't agree with that assessment.
0: Well, if they are lying, um, they'll never be forgiven. Uh, by the Afghan people, who have been lied to, they're sick of the corruption, um, the corrupt behaviour of politicians. What particularly concerns me is a a lot of politicians from across the European Union, um, in Britain, in America, um, a lot of Western feminists are talking about um women's rights and i started to look into um the rights of of women because uh you know boris johnson was saying it, this hasn't been a waste of time you know in 20 years look at how how women are, they're back at school and and he's you know saying that this is a a great success story Well, according to the Central Statistics Organization, 84% of Afghan women are illiterate, and only 2% of women have access to higher education. And um, the looking at at, uh, the suicide rates in Afghanistan, you know, globally, more men than women commit suicide. But in Afghanistan, it is quite the reverse and a staggering 80% of suicide attempts are by Afghan women. 80%. Um, The Herat province accounts for more than half the cases uh, nationwide. And this is really grim reading and reveals some very unhappy girls and women. A lot of it is forced marriage. This is under this um, Western propped up government of Ashraf Ghani, this isn't under the, the, the Taliban. And then I started looking at um, the schools and because of the unstable nature of Afghanistan, um, last year about 10 million children missed out on regular school attendance, but 3.7 million children, have never had an education at all. So, you know, what about um, all these school programmes that we're, we're told about? The reality, and it's easy enough to, you know, to to verify. And I started looking around and I remembered reading something about that old rogue, Robert Mugabe, who was the leader of um, Zimbabwe. And somebody saying, well, in his defense, he he actually did do a lot for women's rights. And so I started looking at that. And in two decades, uh, Robert Mugabe, another figure reviled by the West, um, presided over enormous investment in education, which saw women achieve the highest literacy rates in Africa. And within two decades of coming to power, 89% of the adult population of Zimbabwe was literate. It was a huge success story. Now, you know, America, Britain, NATO, um, all the other European countries, they've had 20 years to, to turn the education system in Afghanistan around. If Robert Mugabe could do it, why couldn't they? Um, They've certainly not through lack of funding. You know, trillions has been spent um, on the military. They've created um, an army, an air force, militarily. um, And all of this will be inherited by the Taliban, by the way. Um, You know, it's a huge, vast sums of money. And yet, you know, we've got these shocking figures um, of, of uh, female um, suicides and, 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 um, and the lack of literacy among women with only 2% having any hope or chance of going to university, domestic violence against women. Um, has been horrendous over the last 20 years, including murder, assault, gang rape. All of these crimes have been projected on the Taliban, but all of this has happened under uh, the Western supported government and the Western occupation. Um, You know, so the the lot of an Afghan woman is, is horrific. And and only last year, for example, there was a case of a 17-year-old girl called Lal Bibi, who was forced into a marriage she didn't want. Her father-in-law and husband beat her, extracted her fingernails, um, locked her up in appalling conditions. She suffered horrific injuries. And when her father finally collected her, uh, she was in a wheelchair, and and um, the police were called, and and they did arrest the father-in-law and husband, and then the local warlords um, went to the police station and and forced their release, which allowed them to flee um, from the province they were living in to a an area controlled by the Taliban. Well, I hope one of the first things that the Taliban does when, you know, if they're promising to uphold women's rights is to have these two men arrested and tried because, um, you know, and and Lal Bibi isn't just an isolated case. So when I hear fellow, you know, female feminists, sisters talking about the rights of Afghan women. I I just wish that they would um, acknowledge the truth of uh, that, that. Very few Afghan women are enjoying rights that they think they have at the moment. There are, a few, you know, it would be churlish to say it's been a disaster. There are some amazingly strong Afghan women who are heading up NGOs, who are doctors, clinicians, lawyers. Um, We uh, see female MPs in the parliament. So, you know, yes, there are a few green shoots of hope, um, but these are privileged elite women. I'm concerned, um, as somebody from a working class background, I want to know what's happening to the women in the rural areas and how they are and and um of course you know we've just had a little slice of the suffering that they're going through at the moment
1: so i just wanted to clarify one thing actually that you said there um before i ask a couple more questions is that uh, you said that 50% mm-hmm. of the su- the female suicides were in um, harat province is that how you pronounce it um, yeah and now forgive mm-hmm. my ignorance i have no idea if that's taliban controlled or if that's been somewhere that's been like broadly
0: um under western uh-huh. occupation uh-huh. well it wasn't uh uh-huh. it uh herat is on the border with iran and um it's uh it it wasn't um taliban controlled but it was one of the first areas that fell it was quite a, a significant um
1: win for the taliban okay. so um one of the things that you're you're essentially um saying here is that it, it's that women have been treated poorly under the the western occupied regime perhaps even more so than they they have been in in taliban controlled areas and a lot of you kind of reference there a lot of the the women who uh, are in afghanistan who have become um politicians uh ceos of ngos uh doctors uh journalists uh things like that and that, that that's the sort of person that i've seen a lot of focus on in the last um mm-hmm. couple of weeks when when people have been talking about it uh, are they in your mind at risk of losing the things that they have yeah built earned over the past um twenty years or however long they've mm-hmm. been sort of working for is, is that like a real fear? Is that like a, a realistic fear that they're they will have their their jobs and their lives, careers stripped from them? Like will they be barred from from working there? Uh and and yeah, is is that is that a, a real fear that, that people should should have?
0: Well I did see a meeting um, taking place. It was on YouTube and some friends who speak Pashto confirmed what was happening. And it was some um, health workers, doctors, uh, senior hospital administrators, challenging um, the Taliban minister who is going to be responsible for health in the interim period. And they wanted assurances from him we will still have our jobs. Can we still do this? Can, and he was assuring them, making the right sounds, which is encouraging. But uh, if they are lying, as I say, they will never be forgiven. And and um, it'll just be more of the same. You know, Afghanistan has had 45 years of war, civil war, strife. Russian occupation, American occupation, um, the Taliban, um, mark (laughs) one, and and, uh, various warlords bombing campaigns. So it was actually really refreshing to see these people sweep into Afghanistan's um, seat of government and start talking peace and start talking women's rights and and start uh giving uh very assuring words of um of a general amnesty now how true that is remains to be seen there will i'm sure be people on the ground who can't forgive and can't forget and there will be retributions. You know, we saw this um after the uh the Spanish Civil War where women's heads were shaved, you know, they were deemed collaborators. Um after the the collapse of um the Vichy government in France and, and the departure of the Nazis. Thousands of women had their heads shaved and were paraded around the streets, so you know this happens in at, at an end of war in transitions um I'm thankful we haven't seen those sort of themes yet in Afghanistan, but the fear is there, and it's you know this is going to be down to the Taliban to convince um their fellow man and woman that uh their words are genuine that the amnesty is genuine um and and uh you know we need to see deeds we've heard the words now let's see it rolled out in action
1: so you mentioned that the the um the previous regime was uh i think you described that there's the most corrupt government in the world or one of the most corrupt governments in the world now that mm-hmm. is quite a title to give to someone um why what makes you say that and why do you think think that that is
0: well you have to look at the american funding um they have sent billions of dollars to pay the wages of the soldiers on the ground, which is another reason why the Afghan National Army seemed to melt away. Many of those soldiers hadn't been paid for months, some of them hadn't been paid in more than a year. Now then, where's that money gone? Because America sent the money, billions of dollars, it's gone somewhere. And it certainly hasn't been spent on education or women's rights. And so why would a soldier risk his life for a government that is stealing his wages? And now, I've had mixed reports about Ashraf Ghani. I've heard people say that he is a genuine man and that he's not corrupt. Well, if he's not corrupt, he has presided over an administration that is. And he has promised to get on top of this corruption. Now, he's either blind, incompetent, or he's corrupt himself. Or it could be a combination of all three. Um, He certainly... uh, and, And he's also partly responsible for giving the impression... To the Americans, to the British, to NATO, everything is fine. We've got a highly trained army. They can keep the Taliban at bay. And he hasn't been telling the truth.
1: So. Which
0: is why, you know, they've been caught off by complete surprise.
1: Yeah. So what do you think it is that led the taliban to be able to take over in 11 days essentially is it just that they they have the majority support within the country
0: it's been planning preparation um they've had a a base in qatar and they have um, some of their leaders have gone out and networked with warlords, with governors of provinces, with tribal leaders. This is the tribal society, and they've gone out to the tribal leaders, and they've done a hearts and minds job and and asked for their support, and uh, and then they've um, they've gone. And, and ramped up the um, the fight back to reclaim the country. It's been helped by the fact that um, the Americans said we're leaving by September 11. Uh, it's always helpful to know when the occupation's going to end. Um, and on top of that the corruption from the Ashraf Ghani government that has really demoralized the uh the afghan army and the uh other civil servants and the administration and that is why they've been you know it's been a combination of um of getting everything in place it's And it's nothing new, it's not rocket science, because it's very similar to what um, Hamid Karzai did when he came from nowhere, apparently, and was swept into power um, by the Americans uh, in in the first interim government. And Hamid Karzai, quite bravely, actually, um, had gone out uh into the countryside and negotiated with a lot of the uh the the tribal elders and leaders to build the, the you know the groundwork for when he was ready to go in and and the taliban have done exactly the same thing you know it was planning preparation but also while they have been doing that They've also been making strategic alliances with the Chinese, who have a border with Afghanistan, with Pakistan. Um, I mean, the worst-cut secret is that Pakistan had been helping the Taliban. They deny it even now, but um, they they did. But um, they've had potential trade talks with China, uh, Pakistan, Iran, And that's hugely significant because, you know, the the Taliban mark one contained quite a lot of sectarianism um, and and, um, hostilities towards, I knew that was going to happen, and hostilities towards the the Shia and the Hazaras um, and some of the other minority groups in Afghanistan. Um, they appear to have overcome that sectarian divide now. And they said, you know, emphatically that they will protect minority groups. Um, so that, that is something new as well. So this hearts and minds hasn't just gone out to their Pashtun, uh, countrymen. Um, it's, it's gone out to, um, to the the ethnic minorities, the Tajiks, the Uzbeks, the uh, Hazara, uh, and as I say, this uh, reaching out to the Shia is is very interesting as well. So they've gone round all their neighbours. They've also been talking with Turkey, which is becoming quite a regional power um, across the Middle East and and uh, as, as well and. Uh, of course, they've had this base in Qatar where they've been allowed to uh, to do this. So I think that um, you know, that they have been quite astute. They have shown that they're ready to govern. Um, but the one thing that they will not compromise on is their Islam. And they want to introduce um and will introduce uh, a sh- Sharia law into um, in- into uh, Afghanistan.
1: So, one of the one of the things that I have seen people discussing um, over the the last yeah few days, at least anyway, is that um, one thing people were pointing to was the fact that the IMF are attempting to sort of not not allow the the, the Taliban as a, as a government of Afghanistan to receive like IMF funding. Um, and it seems like the the developed world or most of the West or however you want to describe it are trying to not allow the Taliban government to be given like international legitimacy, um, and in a way that looks like they're pushing that government into the hands of people who would be considered to be our, our geopolitical enemies, people like uh, China or Iran. Um, Do you think the West or yeah, will as such will, will eventually recognize the Taliban as government of, of Afghanistan? Um, And do you think it's kind of a bad idea for them not to recognize them and allow sort of, yeah, allow them to, to get pushed towards people that we would consider to be unsavoury characters, shall we say?
0: Well, it would be um, a great mistake for the West to alienate and isolate the Taliban. They did it before in the 90s and look what happened. Uh, the country became... a uh, playground for every wannabe jihadi group. Um, I don't think that uh, it's in the West's interest to isolate uh, the group. Um, and and you're right, you know, uh, in the absence of Western support, they, you know, they've already made strategic alliances. I forgot to mention Russia as well is a is a key um it's a is a key uh ally so um yeah uh it, it's it's it would be i think foolish to um to isolate them and and you know they are the choice of the afghan people and Afghanistan is like a, a sleeping giant, you know, it's lying there right in the middle of of, of the uh the old trade route, the, the Silk Road. And the potential, it's mineral, wealthy, um, the potential that it has to be a really productive country, um, is it, there. And if um if Afghanistan is at peace, then Iran doesn't have to worry about that border. Pakistan doesn't have to worry about its border. and um, You know, it would um, be good for the, the whole region. You have to look at, well, who wouldn't be happy if Afghanistan becomes strong and stable? Um, India wouldn't be happy. India is putting a lot of pressure on Pakistan, and they have this common battle over um, occupied Kashmir. Um, and, And the Pakistan military is really stretched having to police this really long border with Afghanistan. But if there's a stable, productive Afghanistan that they're trading with, then they don't have to worry about that. So they can focus more on what's happening on the other side of their border uh, with um, with Kashmir and India. Um, Saudi and its um very strong Wahhabi establishment must be furious that uh that the Taliban have reached out to Iran uh, because you know Saudi and Iran um there's a lot of hostility Uh, between them. And um, of course, Saudi's new best friend is Israel. And um, Israel is playing this shadow war in the Persian Gulf uh, with Iran. So it's not in their interests that uh, Iran has a stable uh, border with Afghanistan. Uh, You know, there's there's lots of... um, It was called the great game. I think by the Victorians and and, uh, there are lots of um, machinations uh, over a stable Afghanistan. And I I just think it's time the game stopped and and let um, Afghanistan develop into a viable um, state.
1: So yeah, uh, if we can fit them in, I've got I've got two more questions I wanted to ask. Um, yeah. So, uh, first of all, why why were we there? In perhaps you could maybe give like the official justification, and then your understanding of why we were actually there.
0: When you say we, are you talking about America?
1: America Chris, and Britain, yes. Yeah. Well, America and Britain, like, so, uh-huh. like yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Well, um, 9-11 was, it really damaged the um, Americans psychologically. This was the first time the country had been invaded um, by a foreign uh, entity and uh, it, it really shattered them and they they had to go for revenge. Um, perhaps if they'd thought about it, it would have been better just to have bombed the uh, Al-Qaeda camps or sent in a special force uh, to go and extract Osama bin Laden and, and uh, that would have been the end of that. But instead, uh, there was a bombing campaign and an invasion. The relationship between George W. Bush and Tony Blair, if you remember at the time, I think he was called the American Poodle. And and basically, if America were going in, Britain was going to be by their side. Just as if America comes out, uh, Britain has to come out too, because it uh, can't possibly... Um, remain in Afghanistan without um, the American military backing them up. So um, it was in, um, in response to the Act of 9-11. The Taliban did at the time say uh, that they would hand Osama bin Laden over to a third country if they received enough compelling evidence to show that he had masterminded 9-11 the Americans weren't prepared to do that it was quite obvious they wanted to drop bombs and um and it didn't matter how many times the Taliban stressed they did not want this war it it happened anyway and I remember interviewing a Russian colonel Shestikov who had occupied Afghanistan um, when uh, the USSR was was there and he just counseled against it. He said, you cannot win in Afghanistan, don't go in. And um, well, you know, they did and the rest is history.
1: Yeah. So the the last thing I wanted to ask was about um Sharia law. You mentioned that the the thing that the Taliban won't compromise on is their their Islam um and I basically wanted to know wh- how how strict essentially you think their their Sharia law as such will will be? Um, I've seen, obviously, uh, there's, there's places, uh, in, in the Middle East, um, Saudi Arabia for ones that are, have not, uh, got a good history of treating women very well. And honestly, I get kind of irritated when people cry about one country and ignore another. But, um, essentially, I was wondering, like, how, how strict and oppressive you think the Sharia law is going to be for, for, people who are who are living there
0: well again that remains to be seen um, i have watched in despair as uh, sharia courts have um sat in judgment um of people and although um you know say the death penalty Um, is a punishment for murder. Um, The Sharia actively encourages forgiveness and restitution as an alternative, which indicates that uh, Sharia law could still be upheld, um, you know, and, and not carry out executions. I mean, I think that the biggest flaw with Sharia law is it's dispensed by humans and humans are flawed and they will make mistakes, which is why um, I'm against the death penalty anywhere. You know, we've seen it in America and there's no Sharia law there. But um, unfortunately, uh, countries like Saudi Arabia give the impression that um, that you know in sharia the the death penalty is sort of hanging over everybody from a thief to uh to an adulterer um, i I just think that um you know there are legal systems in the world today that are in operation that have actually taken parts of the sharia um but the the Thing that I would say in its favour is that it has, uh, unlike other legal systems, it has the highest burden of proof. And uh, to be able to convict somebody, unfortunately, if you get witnesses who are going to lie, um, then the system again is flawed, and. I'm just mulling, mulling this whole thing over because I think that again there is an opportunity here for the Taliban to actually not um, or, or just to dispense with um, executions. And I think that the, uh, they they could actually do that whether they will or not um, I don't know but The the death penalty is sort of the the very last resort, but there are many get outs on the way uh, to avoid that. But as I say, the the system, if it was practiced as it was designed, um, there would be nothing to fear, but unfortunately, uh it isn't you know we've seen all sorts of nonsense uh come out in religious courts in pakistan in uh, in saudi um and and other Muslim countries
1: yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think that the the whole lesson here is that it remains to be seen what the Taliban will be like. um, And and hopefully, for the sake of people living there, it will not live up to the horrors that people are painting. So I guess that's, that's really um, the best that we could hope for uh, is some peace for the region. Um, So uh, yeah, Dr. Ridley, uh, I really, really want to thank you. Uh, This has been incredibly educational um and and really i i hope useful to to anyone who's who's chosen to listen um do you want to tell people where they can find you and your work and stuff um if they want to know more or find out more about you
0: well i'm i'm on twitter i'm on facebook all all the social networks and and um if they want to know more although my book is out of print um you can still uh get ebooks and and kindle versions of in the hands of the taliban and it's you know it's still as relevant today as it was when it was first written um, all we can do is uh, pray for afghanistan and uh, and if you if you're not religious then hope hope for afghanistan that uh, that this will work out and it's about time that uh, those people had some peace in their country.
1: Well, um, yeah, I will put the links for, for um, your Twitter and Facebook and, and books and whatnot in the description below for, for people to check it out. So, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks very much. It's, it's been a pleasure.
0: Well, thank you for the questions. The animal dragged a child around its enclosure. The child had fallen into that enclosure. Officials are now defending their actions. ABC's Alex. A few things I am not.
1: I'm not a cat. I'm not an institutional investor, nor am I a hedge fund. There's no panic selling. These people, you know they may have bought it $4, sat through $400, went back to 40 went to 350 back down to 110 and they have not sold. All they've done is bought more. And there's no answer for that. There's no, they, they, you know, it, it is like art of war mastery by a bunch of idiots who should know better. And they're just, they're just like, I'm not fucking leaving! Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. What's been happening on Reddit and in social media and in the marketplace
0: has never been seen before. Uh, The short 70, 60, 80% of a company, let alone 140%, I think a lot of people universally believe something is wrong there. They're powerful. They want to stock higher. It's child's play. Why ever sell into the maw of Wall Street? Yeah, Reddit bets.
1: Why, why, why? But everyone's wrong. Take like the big short again. Or more like the big short squeeze this time, right?
0: So here we got the fox guarding the hen house, and one of the hens is complaining. The fox is out to kill us. And the farmer says, I'm sorry, the fox is in charge of the hen house.
1: Whenever there is not billions, but like trillions of dollars involved in something, it I, I argue that nothing is off the table.
0: The way they have absolutely cheated, stolen, robbed everyday people, so all our hedge fund billionaire friends can get out and not get killed is one of the most remarkable, illegal, shocking robberies
1: in the history, of, in plain sight. Super Stonk and the other communities that have emerged are a hive mind, the likes of which we have never seen before. It's madness and brilliance. Insanity and genius all rolled into one. It's very possible that Citadel will be gone in a few months. And and not just Citadel, but the entire financial system has the potential to come crashing down. These crooks continue to gamble recklessly with the world economy and this could be the moment that they finally get their justice. You got- Maybe 10 million people doing this, who now own, you know, probably more than 100 million shares. and eventually, you know, they might own everything.